This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. You are listening to iFanboy's Talksplode with Rainbow Rowell.
Hey, this is Josh Flanagan. It's another episode of iFanboy Talksplode. This is our creator interview show. I've enunciated every word of that perfectly. Today I am talking with uh, writer and author Rainbow Rowell, a, a well-known uh, YA author. Then she popped into comics and just had it from the start with her Runaways run. Runaways run. Uh, <laughs> and uh, now she's on She-Hulk. Uh, we spent a good long time talking about creating comics and writing and all sorts of stuff. Uh, I am a big fan. And uh, I'm, I'm guessing you will be too. Hey, this is Josh Flanagan with iFanboy.com, and I am here uh, with Rainbow Roll, author and comic book writer, which I guess are sort of the same thing. But hi, 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 hi. I will, I will, I will start with this thing. I checked. I, I was like, well, is her real name Rainbow? Because I pictured myself saying hi, Rainbow, and I thought that feels a little <laughs> unusual. It feels so, weird. <laughs> it is your real name. Yeah, it's my real name. It's my given name from my mom. Um, but it's, yeah, it feels weird for me to say even, and I don't mind you asking really? because yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It still feels like a noun. Um, <laughs> it, <laughs> I, I appreciate it because I feel like it, it's the name really starts out as a liability with people. Like I don't feel like sure. I win friends and influence people by saying my name is rainbow. Um, but I, then I have, but I, I so I, it helps me to be like, you know, my mom gave me this name, you know, <laughs> Uh, but then I, I don't think it stays a liability normally because I think yeah. I've had jobs. I used to be a newspaper reporter. And so I've always had jobs where it, it's kind of helped me if people remembered my name. Mm-hmm. So um, people don't always remember that it's Rainbow, but they remember it's Goofy. <laughs> so they remember it's unusual. And so I used to really hate it, but I'm, I'm kind of like at peace with it now. And I feel like it's but, – but anytime I enter sort of a new space, and comics is a new space, I think, mm-hmm. oh, people must think I was just like, you know what my pen name is going to be? <laughs> it's going to be Rainbow Rowell. You know, <laughs> did you ever go through a period where you pretended that or like, you know, chose a different name to use? No, my mom no? was my mom was very much like you can change your name when you're 18 because I didn't <laughs> love it. And and then by the time you're 18, asking everyone to call you something else is sure. tricky. <laughs> and yeah. I know, you know, I was a newspaper reporter and I that's a job where you want to have a transparency and honesty and authenticity. You don't want to. You don't want to choose a pen name for that. And then I'd been a newspaper writer for so long. By the time I was an author, the idea of choosing a pen name, um, that felt like, well, I'm what I'm Rainbow Rowell now, and then I'm now I'm not. Like, mm-hmm. that felt strange. But I do think, I mean, I still think it probably, I feel like it probably discourages people from picking up my books because it's not even really? like a little. Yeah, I do think so. Huh. Yeah, I do. I've, because I've, I think it's like people assume I chose it. And then they start imagining what sort of person would choose it. Like what sort of adult, you know? Mm-hmm. We're probably I talking feel the about this too long, Josh. Should we just do it? I'm good. No, this? I'm good. It, it's funny because <laughs> my, my website is called ifanboy.com and yeah. I hate it. But Why? I, it's antiquated. It's gendered in a way that like mm. I think makes us seem immature. But I came up with it with my friends when we started a comic book website in, 20, in 2000. And yeah, I was totally 22, context. you know, and, and then we were started doing the podcast. And we got known by it. And now it's just iFanboy. And if I don't think about what it is, I'm fine with it. But, you know, I'm 45 and <laughs> I don't want to be called that. <laughs> I, I have to admit, I didn't think any, well, this isn't an admission. I didn't think anything bad. Well, I mean, I there's a billion th- like comic book podcasts, you know, that have dorky names. Yeah. But it's, you know. 
You yeah, all... it, it sounds enthusiastic to me. It does sound okay. enthusiastic. That, I mean, that, that is what it was. Like yeah. at the time, it was like there was the iMac, and then it was like, oh right, right, yeah. right. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I had and to go back iPod, into my brain the, back to two thousand. Yeah, the right. Whole deal. So <laughs> yeah, uh, then, let's yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. So we both have our anxiety. I chose mine. You got yours, but we had a deal. <laughs> oh, like all of my anxieties, more... I got mine from my mom. So <laughs> yeah. Well, join okay. the club. And then, yep. then you become a writer. It all makes sense. Right. So uh, there are probably lots of things out there about your book writing and, and things like that. And I'm sure we will touch on and go into it. But uh, I'm not an expert on those things. And I'm sure. guessing there's a lot of information out there. So I'm going to steer this towards comics because it's the thing I know and it's the thing people are listening for. <laughs> sure. So uh, you are, you know, you uh, uh, I've read the Wikipedia. You you know, you wrote your, your first book while you were working another job. Uh, yep. It did well. People notice you've written a bunch of books since then. Yes. Um, I saw... That's exactly what my Wikipedia page says. <laughs> I am summarizing. I've had a day. It's like, I don't know, um, she wrote some books. <laughs> Listen, okay, I okay, not moving qualified ahead. on it. Yeah. At some point, um, you sound, looked like you, you signed to do a graphic novel with uh, First Second. Um, yeah, yeah. And so how did you get to the point where you go from doing prose to, to working on, on, on making comic books? Was it an offer? Was it a thing that you, like, what was your relationship with comics prior to that? Um, I think I actually, it might not have been come into print first, but I think I actually started Runaways before Pumpkinhead's my first graphic novel. Really? Um, my relationship to comic books was... Um, my dad read a ton of comics and that should have been probably the way that I started with comics. And in a mm-hmm. way, in a way it was because he would buy me, um, like Richie Rich comics. Um, and I, and I liked those a lot, but my dad was a Marvel reader and he, um, did not think, I don't think he thought that comics were for girls. Like, I think he really? thought there were boy comics and girl comics. So he really steered me away from his superhero comics and toward more, um, like funny comics. And we're talking about, I think you're a little bit older than me, so late 70s, early 80s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and so, like, back then, there's not a ton of all-ages comics outside of, you know, Richie Rich and maybe an Archie here and there. Yeah, I mean, I guess in some ways there were a ton, and in other ways there weren't, right? But mm-hmm. the, there were, um, like, Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck comics, right. all of the Richie Rich comics, right? So, and... And I think maybe Marvel Comics and DC Comics were a little bit more all ages then. But, but yeah, yeah but so he yeah. definitely was like buying me funny comics um, and buying like superhero comics for himself and for my brother. Yeah. Um, but then I got into junior high and I um, fell in with a group of boys who were reading comics, comics, uh, superhero comics. And um, and and uh, I, I really just started borrowing their comics and um, really fell in love with them. And so by the time I, then I was in high school, like, and I got a job um, in college, I was just spending all of my money on comics. So, so I you're like a weekly a, reader. You were going to the shop and like, on, it was Tuesdays. Yeah, at then, that or time Wednesdays. I was broke. So I was a quarter box hound. I was just okay. um, living off of whatever I could get cheap. Um, and I, I really, I really early on became an ex person. So I mostly read mutant comics Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. Would you so just college, would you just read them like randomly as you found them, or are you trying to build like a run? Because the X Men comics are difficult if you're not in order. Although, yeah, in in general, comics. Yeah. I always I look back on comics from the eighties uh, with this like when you're a kid, you could pick up a comic, you could read it, and that'd be all. You'd find your context, you'd do the thing, and then maybe you'd find another one that's something to do with it. But they don't do that anymore, so it's a little easier, I think. 
Yeah, I mean, I think uh, one thing is in, in the 80s, you had no expectation that the world was going to give you a Wikipedia page for everything. Mm-hmm. So you experienced being lost a lot of time. You know, like yeah. you just yeah. you experienced the world with a lot less context in 1989, which is probably when I started reading X-Men comics. So I, you know, I knew that I was reading something that it was already in the hundreds of issues. Um, yeah, I think that's right. And um yeah. You know, so I knew I was deep, deep down the stream, midstream, and then I wasn't getting them in any order from my friends. You know, they would just be like, "Oh, you want to read X comics?" Well, you know, and they were buying whatever they had. They weren't buying full runs. Mm-hmm. You know, my friends would be like, they would basically go to the shop and buy whatever co- covers they liked. You know, so they'd be right. like, "Here are two Transformers comics and one X Force comic," and you know, like, and I so I was reading it completely out of order. Um, then uh, I'm kind of um, I'm very methodical. I'm kind of a Hermione, so I in college carried with me a little tiny notebook that had like, you know, two pages for all of the uh, mutant books. And then I would keep track of what I had. And I would go through the quarter boxes trying to build them up. So the, the, the way that worked for me is I ended up reading the sort of comics nobody wanted to read first, because that's what I could get cheap. So like, right. I, yeah, so I'd read like, you know, Alpha Flight, you know, like, like the full run of Alpha <laughs> Flight. And then the, the mutant books here and there, here and there, because at that point, they well, there weren't really collections. Right. You know, so yeah, you, you had to work be, back then. Like I Yeah, you really had to work and you always had an incomplete knowledge and you were really depending on oral tradition a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So you'd read a comic and you'd say to your friend, like, I don't understand what's happening with Madeline Pryor and they'd be like, Yeah, okay, do you have an hour? And then they would try to tell you everything <laughs> they knew, which would be a very imperfect understanding of it. And then someone no else would be does. adding to it. Yeah, it was it was way more just like um, people just talking and sharing what they knew, you know, whereas now I would mm-hmm. never ask a person a question that. And if I did, they'd say, why don't you Google that? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of how I got through college. And then when I got a real job job, I, I really settled into I was the person who would um, have my pullist was just like every X-Men comic, every anything that a mutant showed up in. I bought for about 10 years. Oh, wow. And did you find did you finally fall off at a certain point? I, I'm more bro- I'm, I'm more like went into rehab. Basically, I like just was at a point where I was buying so many books a month and I was feeling kind of addicted. Like I would feel like I have to read every mutant book right. to understand what's going on in every other mutant book. And I mean, that nobody was telling me I had to do that. I just felt that I had to. And I was like, I just this is not I'm not enjoying this as much. I'm just feeling right. kind of like breathless about having to have coverage. And so then I had a baby and my pull list built up and I was like, you know what? That's it. I'm. I'm, I'm like detoxing. Wow. I respect that. You do? <laughs> and, <laughs> no, I totally even, do. Even now, I feel kind of wary of the X-Men. I'll be like, I don't read them. And I feel like if I pick it up, it's just like, oh, man, I'm going, you know, falling off the wagon. I'm going to like be reading 10 books a month again. This isn't a very good thing for me to say as a Marvel employee, I guess. I mean, I, I mean, I, I get it. <laughs> I've been doing, you know, I did a pick of the week. You know, we would basically do a review every week of my life since 2000 we started Mm. doing a podcast in 2005 so every you know wednesday thursday we read a bunch of books so we can do a show on friday and put it out on sunday and it was my full-time job for a little while but there's a thing like what would i do if we stopped doing this like i like comics i like them in a different way than i used to and i still enjoy reading comics but there is an incredible momentum to it that if one day it wasn't there i'd just be interested what that feels like 
(laughs) I wasn't reading anything else. And so Mm -hmm. part of it was like, I was like, I haven't read a book. This isn't now. This is at that point. I was like, I haven't read a book for years. Perhaps I should. But I was really worried. I always had the stack by my bed of, I mean, I'm just like all mutants all the time. And I was like, I don't know. I've got to read all this. And And so what I did is I... And I don't know what you would do if you stopped doing your show. I hope you don't stop doing your show until you I want don't know to. How. But yeah, well, I I um, started instead of following characters, I started following creators more, and that's yeah. actually when I got into Runaways because um, I just loved Brian K. Vaughan and his writing, and I thought, okay, I'm going to read everything you know I can from this guy, and I'm going to I'm going to start paying better attention to which which comics am I enjoying the most, and instead of following like characters from book to book, I'm going to start following writers and and artists from book to book and that changed my comics reading a lot now i'll go back a a slight now if wikipedia again is to be um believed (laughs) you you started writing your first book around this time so you said what what i'm getting to is that you you said you hadn't read a book in a really long time but you did start writing one i did start writing one yeah i was i was writing my book that's interesting yeah okay so i mean I was also feeling like I didn't want to be influenced by other books and that if I was reading comics, I'm always afraid I'm too much of a mimic. That right. I kind of like, I understand. Yeah. Like if you're talking to me in an accent, I'll start talking back to you in that accent. <laughs> it's embarrassing and dumb. So, uh, yeah. So at that time, I was just reading comics and I started writing the book. But then I felt kind of like, okay, well, this book won't – it's so different from what I'm reading. And it's not like I'd never read a book. I used – before I had been kind of a, you know, a huge reader of everything. Yeah, and then, then yeah, I started writing my first book, Attachments, and then my second book, Eleanor and Park, is about two kids who fall in love reading comics together. They uh, mm-hmm. they fall in love with each other um, over X Men comics and Watchmen, and so that's what led to me working in comics because Nick Lowe at Marvel read Eleanor and Park and was like, "You sound like some, you seem like you actually love comics," and I was like, "Yes, no, I do." And he was like, "Why don't you write a comics for a comic for us?" So that's how that happened. He's the best guy. He's great. He's a wonderful guy. Yeah. He's a great yeah, editor, uh, too, actually. No, he absolutely is. Yeah. Um, and he's got, like, a, you know, he's some people know talent really well. And, and like, he just can sort of suss it out. And, and you can see all these people that he sort of brought in. Um, yeah, and, I think and, he likes to take risks. And I think he's also, yeah. like, lets you – he merely makes you feel like he is going to support you as you try this new thing. With me, he was very much like, you know, I'll I'll be there. You don't – you know, don't worry too much about – not understanding this format because I'm going to be right there with you. So, uh, you, you just get you, did you get an email from him? Did you meet him at a thing or, or so? No, like when did when did it start? I don't meet people at things usually. I usually go to things. Um, I know, I him, a, there's a book show. There's something. Yeah, no, I actually met him the first time through email. He sent me an email. It seemed kind of fake to me. Um, <laughs> I just and it, you know it seemed so. Like, oh, this is happening in this fake space inside my computer that I, I right. actually asked for Runaways right away. Because he was, I think he wanted me to write a Spider-Gwen thing. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, you know, this is what I'd really like to do. And um, and he was like, let's talk about that. So that it started moving right away. And then we, I didn't actually have time to start. And then they didn't get the book approved for a while. So it was like we were kind of both waiting for each other for a long time. But yeah, he, like right away we were talking about Runaways. So when you said, I want to write Runaways right away, yeah. did you have like a concept of what you wanted to do? I more had the concept of that is my favorite Marvel book. That, mm-hmm. that like, 
I have, you know, probably my favorite character, my favorite, like, I love the mutants. I have other characters I really love. But if there was just one book that I loved the most, it was Runaways. And Runaways, honestly, it's the sort of thing I write. It's the sort of Uh writing I like anyway. Um, You know, writing about young people, writing about a big group of people, writing about, you know, all these people who are kind of, you know, have friendships and romantic relationships. That's my... That's that sort of, I'm drawn to that. I, I write that. So I think I knew I could do that. Mm-hmm. And also I felt like it, there just was so much potential to bring those characters back and that they have, yeah, I just, I want, honestly, I just wanted them back. And I, I want a Gert back. I really, really want a Gert back. I think. Um, when you said I, my yeah. favorite character, I was like, I think she means Gert. And I was about to ask, but I think that was clear from the writing. Not a bad yeah, way. Yeah, my, my runaway's favorite character. Is my favorite? No, oh, no, it's not Gert actually. No. And, and oh. um, Chris Lanka used to like mercilessly out me for this like because <laughs> oh. I would always be like don't tell people what our favorite characters are because then they'll they'll notice the favoritism and then he would at every opportunity tell people that I was favoring Victor I'm like shut up huh. <laughs> interesting <laughs> but, but choice Gert, Gert I think is the best character I think she's just sure. a phenomenal character and um, and I just felt like you could bring her back I mean and I don't know if that's what their the original creators would have wanted but I, I just thought she's a great character. And, bring, and the whole team, you know, every every time I'd gone back to that book, I had been like, I I just think that the original run of Runaways doesn't really get old. And it's, I, I just loved everything about them. I loved Leapfrog. I loved their, um, the mansion they lived in. I loved it all. It's funny because I don't think I've read it since it was coming out in issues. And I, I loved it. I mean, at the time, Brian Vaughn yeah. was the guy who could do no wrong. He's the, like the master of the single issue. Um and then you know a bunch of other people tried, and and there were good runs. But I think that I'm I'm not shining your shoes right here. A little bit like your run on it was the first time that I was like, okay, I feel like we're back in this world, like in oh, a thanks. in a permanent way, which which didn't hurt because it was a really you know substantial run. So it, which, yeah, which yeah, sort of leads me, you know, mm-hmm. you get a chance to do this thing that is not in a, a medium that you've done and and you know story is story and characters are characters but the mechanics of comic books are are difficult and you're going to start doing this at kind of the highest level like, yeah did you know where to start um i knew where i wanted the story yeah i knew where to, to go with the uh, yeah i knew where i wanted the story to go mm-hmm. i was most intimidated by just the act of like how many panels to put on a page and And that's kind of what i meant in terms Mm -hmm. of start like how to actually make the thing i'm I'm yeah i read a book about writing comics i read the the bendis book about writing comics and the thing that's nice about that book is that it's not just how he does it he has all of these different writers talk about what they do and what that did for me was make me think oh okay yeah no there's just not there's just not one way to do this Mm -hmm. um but but you can see the practical things that um you need, you know, like the difference when you're writing a novel is you're you're telling a story to the reader, but mm-hmm. when you're writing a comic, you're telling a story to the artist. Like your your audience for that script is the artist, you know, the, you know the art and the artists really, um, the other people who are coming along on the book, and so it's a totally different information flow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's the big shift is is instead of talking to the reader, thinking about how you're talking to the the artist and the colorist and the the letterer and what those three people need to know from you. Um, that was the really the biggest shift. And then the episodic nature of it is very different. I, I think with that, I just had the muscle memory of having read a million comic books to mm-hmm. know the rhythms of it. I mean, that's a modest way to say it. it still takes, you know, uh, that takes a lot. And especially coming from, you know, it is my experience 
than when a lot of novelists come in to make comics. They're not. I see. I was very confused when you first started doing Runaways because uh, you know I was like, well, who's this person? Oh, she's a novelist. Yeah. But it didn't read. It read like a comic book, and there wasn't too oh, many words, and there wasn't. And and I mean, it, it makes sense that you've been reading comics forever because. You know, that's a very normal thing for people who've come into comics to do is just sort of overdo it. Did you feel like you had it or was there editorial, you know, like, hey, how about doing five panels here here instead of nine or something like that? Um, <clears throat> you can just say I did it because I'm awesome. <laughs> I mostly had that part of it. I think actually mm -hmm. um, Nicola would like me to write more. Like there are times when Nick is like, you know, you're a <laughs> you've got chops. You can you can like. You can do more, I'll say, you can do a couple guitar solos, you know, like it's mm -hmm. okay to just get in there and write it. Um, I don't, yeah, I think I like to be spare. So I, I think that helped me as a novelist. I'm not a super, I'm, I'm kind of a, I, you know, I was a journalist for 10 years. Right. And, um, and so as a novelist, I tend to be sort of spare and plain spoken. Um, which helps, I think, because it means that I don't mm -hmm. miss giving up the narration. I think that if you, I think as a novelist, you can overuse the narration. Um, mm -hmm. But all that said, I'm sure there are people who think there's too much, you know, I'm sure there are people who think there's too much talking in my books. There's always a lot of talking. Um, so, you know, maybe there are people who think I'm not making that tr transition very well. You know, maybe for mm -hmm. some people, they're like, oh, this is obviously a novelist. But uh, yeah, for, for me, I felt it like, well, I, Oh, well, thanks. Okay. I mean, okay. Well, yeah, you and you and I think we're do I'm doing an okay job, and I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I, I feel like I had the – I mean, just, you know, you read so many comics. Yeah. I knew what a comic mostly looked like. And even as I say that, there's a lot of variation. I was just looking at a Neil Gaiman comic um, and thinking, like, just the spectrum of narration and how many words you can put on a page and still write a, be writing an excellent comic. I mean, it, it really comes down to, I mean, the, the skill of the writer yeah. and artist in that, you know, there, there are pages, I talk about this a lot, and when, you know, there, there are books that are okay, and then you turn your page and you get a wall of text, and yeah. it's two people standing in a room, and the word balloons are all over the place, and I just think that poor letterer, and it can yeah. stop you cold, but then yeah. there are people who can do it, you know, like Bendis. You don't notice that if you're reading a Bendis book. No, I just, like his books. Yeah, you just flow through that wonderful dialogue, and and you know it's fine. So, and you I, know, I really like Neil Gaiman books. Like those are some of yeah. my. I think I'll. I don't mind doing the reading if the writing is really good, and if yeah. it's sort of pulling you along. But did you ever read Strangers in Paradise? That's on interest. It's fascinating that you say that because. Nick just suggested it to me, and I just ordered it just um, just two days oh, okay. ago. We were talking about it because we were talking about this very issue. We were talking about words on the page. Mm -hmm. um, and Nick was like, my memory of Strangers in Paradise is that there were a lot of words on the page, but that I loved it. Is this your memory as well? It, it, well, it's not that so much as that he would stick in like a page of text. It would be like a, ta a page of prose in the middle of it. And when you're in the process of, you know, plowing through a comic book, it's got a, it's got a pace. Yeah. And if you're slowed on that, it, it should be sort of devastating to the onward movement. But it wasn't because he could do yeah. it. And, and, and about, like there would be one instinct to go, oh, I don't maybe I can skip this. But then I'd start to read it and I wouldn't even notice it would go right by. And that like that's that's sort that's of a masterful kind of thing. Okay, I'm gonna I'll keep that in mind because I'm gonna read that. I feel like I'm I'm someone like an Alan Moore books who always did skip the pages of like I'm embarrassed mm -hmm. to say that, but it's true. I would be like the pirate wait. story. 
yeah, I skipped the pirate story until like the third time around. <laughs> my 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 partner in the show who does this with me, one of my longest friends. He's, yeah, he's never read the pirate part. It, he just okay, refuses. It adds something. It adds. It adds. Yeah. It adds. Yeah. yeah. No, I it mean, does. I, and and by the third time, you kind of like, well, what does this say? Because that book gives and gives and gives as you keep rereading it. But yeah. um, no, you're not alone. That's that's yeah. Totally yeah. It's the hard thing for me, and the thing that I don't. Oh, you know, I told myself I wasn't actually going to talk. I was like, don't talk about your weaknesses. It just draws attention to them. But the thing that ah. I, I have the hardest time with and and I still struggle with is how much space to give fight scenes. When I go back to the first run of Runaways, I look at the fight scene. I just cringe every time. Chris Anka, Chris Anka the, the artist, um, did a wonderful job. But, like, I just didn't give him that much space because I didn't want to give up space for plot because you just mm-hmm. don't – you don't have much space in six issues with that many characters and everybody's got their own story. And, um, <clears throat> is that what you had to begin with six? I think six. Yeah. I think the first arc was six, oh, six over time. We did, I think one five issue arc and one eight issue arc, but mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure we started with six. Um, and I, the thing I always want is, <clears throat> especially with runaways, you know, those characters were like a mess at the beginning. They're in a thousand different places They've been, you know, characters get passed around and um, they get passed around and everybody leaves their, you know, dents and fingerprints on them. And then when you pick them up, you're like, okay, what do I, what do I need to get this character in functioning order for this story? So you're doing that at the beginning and you're kind of, you know, setting them up and building a foundation and and reminding people what their relationships are. And in all of that, in six issues, it's like, well, and not, pardon me. Um, Okay. So you're doing that. And then. In, in six issues and then you get to the point where you're like okay well okay and we've got the climax of this plot so i just look back at that first run and think i should have given the fight so much more space and i so now i do and now i'm like am i giving too much space that's this is the thing mm-hmm. i think about that i think i do not have down all the time is how much space to leave for action how did you end up you know scripting stuff like like what did you sort of decide on would be your method um first i was at first, I would kind of like describe. I would like basically write a description for each panel, mm-hmm. and then I would be like, "But if you want, <laughs> do do whatever you want. Like, like right. if this isn't 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 what you want, if you want to tell this a different way, we can you can mix it up." With Chris, Chris and I talked so much, and we we kicked we kicked it off together. We did a lot of planning. We did a lot of character development before, you know, before I even started drawing the book. So there was so much back and forth that my scripts with Chris were like kind of bulleted lists of these are the six things that need to happen on this page. Mm-hmm. Then after the first arc, I got, a, you know, I got a little bit more like, um, um, okay, you know, panel one, this panel two, this panel three, this, because I would be, I wouldn't necessarily be working with Chris. Other artists were coming in mm-hmm. um, and, and I felt like I needed to have a little bit more structure. Um, not that there wasn't structure before, but I just got a little bit more like specific, like this has to happen in this panel. And even now I don't really care if an artist is like, that didn't work. I'm going to do something different. It's, it's okay. But yeah, yeah, at first it was much more, um, me saying, here are the things that need to happen on this page. Um, yeah. And it got a little bit more dialogue in there. I mean, it wasn't Marvel style, I assume. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're kind of in between Marvel style and, um, Mm -hmm. what's the other style called? Fully scripted, I guess. It's fully sort of scripted. Two ends. I write them actually. What I write them like is, and I even use them. I use a screenplay format, so I write them like a mm-hmm. screenplay. 
Yeah. I don't know what. I did that too. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know what to call foray. that, but yeah. So it's definitely not um, full Marvel style where it's just like, hey, here's the, the thing that happens. I mean, I'm writing all the dialogue and I'm writing. Yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Do you, uh, generally in your storytelling, do you tend to plan things, you know, in terms of plotting? Oh, yeah. You know, I write out? the whole um, arc all at once. Okay. So I like. So, uh, good. I outline and then I write all six issues, boom, 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 like all together and I write it all at once. Um, what was, I, you're working with, with Chris Anka, who's, you know, he's a great artist, you know, one of those yeah. sort of artist artist you know like not necessarily a huge name but like anybody who sort of knows the art form is like oh that that dude's good like were you when you sort of started were you in a like did you understand the sort of the nuances of comic book storytelling in a way that like and i say this because it took me years to sort of understand like the little things about comics that i really like and appreciate now when you talk about somebody's really good at it which most people don't or shouldn't need to notice because it you know, that's the point. Like you're not supposed to notice. You're just supposed to go through it. You know, but like, do you feel like this helped you get an understanding of that stuff? Or did you sort of think about comics that way beforehand? Does that make sense? I'm not, no, it does make, it makes like the foundational sense. I'm not quite sure. Zach, can you give me kind of an example of what you mean? Like at what point did it sort of click with you as you were writing, you know, as you're trying to write comic books, like how comic book storytelling really works, like in a way that you are, you know, actively using and thinking about as opposed to when you're just writing, you know, reading it, you, you kind of notice it works, but not really. But, you, you know, you are the one that's sort of there and you've got to, you know, analyze it at a different level than you used to just as a reader. Right. Or do you think of it that way? I think that it's a little different for me because I've been only a writer. Right. That's my only job. And so I think that I tend to break things down as I'm like, I'm not really mm -hmm. fun to watch television with. Because I'm the same problem. Yeah, you if you if you start thinking critically about stories all the time, you can't help but take stories apart as you're mm -hmm. experiencing them. And so I think I was already sort of maybe a little bit more analytical. But um, I also think it's like I think it's a lot like just sort of. I want to say like singing or, you know, you're just, mm -hmm. you kind of know the rhythm of it. For me, it's a lot about knowing the rhythm and then making sure my work sort of sings along with that rhythm. So listening to like, okay, it feels like something else should be happening now. It feels like we should be shifting scenes now. It feels like we should be ending the, and once you get into like the rhythm of an issue, it's like an internal clock, but I'm not, I, I wrote the first arc by myself because we didn't have an artist yet. Mm -hmm. So I, I wasn't writing to anyone's strengths at that right. point. I was just writing I mean, like this is arc. actually that, That's actually probably a really good manifestation of the thing that I'm doing or that I'm asking that you're about. you're asking is about, that, yeah, like being conscious you know, of. So yeah. I did that and then Chris came on board and Chris also had loved the Runaways so he was invested in these characters and then Chris, Chris and I were able to talk so much about the characters and where they were going. Um, and then... It didn't, pardon me, it didn't change the first arc tremendously because that was in the can, mm -hmm. but it changed the next arcs because I really, like one of the things is um, Chris loves clothes and is a genius and could probably be a designer, like a, a fashion, a, mm -hmm. a clothing designer. He's wonderful. And so what they were wearing became more important and became much more um, a part of the plot, even like mm -hmm. um, Chase, Chase's outfits are, are jokes. Um, and then 
Gert's Gert all through the first run only wears because when she comes back, um, you know, she'd been dead. And she comes back from the past, basically. Uh, she doesn't have any of her clothes, so all of her clothes that she wears in that first couple of runs are clothes that Chase wore in Brian K. Vaughn's run um, in Adrian oh, Alfonso's. So that sort of thing is the thing. If you have a really, you know, Chris and I, my relationship, we were, I was like, hey, what do you think of this? Oh yeah, that's a great. Idea. So soon, you know, we go pouring through the old comics trying to look at wow. what clothes Gert could adapt to be wearing, and so she's always wearing Chase's old clothes, which is also sort of angsty and romantic because yeah. That they is were in love a, with that each is other. a quality Easter egg. That's yeah, that's, that's a good one. I'm impressed by that. And well, then, you know, it's, it, it's go ahead. Uh, one of those. There's a lot of great comic book artists who can't draw clothes like actual people wear, or at least from the era oh, yeah, that people sure. were living hard. in. And I, and you know, now that you mention it, I think it was a thing, and I, I didn't realize what you were saying specifically about that they came from. But you know, they looked like kids. They looked like oh, clothes yeah. the kids would wear. You know, and almost that, no one draws clothes like Chris Anka. I mean, he just right. Yeah. And, and that's a big deal. Like there are comics, you know, there are guys who, and they're guys, uh, you know, drew, drew books in the eighties. And when they draw comics now, they've still got all the same chops they ever did, but everybody kind of looks like they're from the eighties and it yeah. don't work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it did, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. I'm going to, I'm going to totally watch for that. Now when I see Chris's work, he's, he's one of those guys that like, if I see his name on a book, I'll read that book. Um, but and then I, I was, I was like, well, it. Let's let's get them into situations where, like, let's send them to a ball so that they can wear ball gowns. Let's do, you know, let's let's come up with something. And but the Runaways, they don't have um, costumes or uniforms, so they get to wear different clothes. He's designing new clothes um, for five or six kids, and even Doombot got new clothes every hmm. every month. He's designing all new clothes for them. So you've got these six issues to start with. You do that arc; it's yeah. in the can. Yeah, yeah. But that you know, the, it's a whole big story. Like, when yeah, did yeah. you? sort of have the whole thing where you had sort of beginning middle and end uh was that in place in the beginning or did you have to build that out later i had like four or five goals so oh. i i like knew should i spoil things to, is it, or no? yeah no it's i think it's been long enough it's fine yeah so i like i knew that i wanted um i i knew that i wanted victor to get his I wanted Victor to come back I wanted it to be a slow thing for him to get his body back right Um, I knew I wanted to bring Alex back but I didn't want to bring her back right away I knew that when I brought Alex back I wanted to make Alex's villainy a little bit more complicated and um, I wanted to make him a little bit more someone whose path we understood Um, I knew I wanted Molly to be um, kind of in the the cusp of adolescence and start to have some adolescent feelings. I knew I wanted Molly to not be cute and happy for an arc. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted, I wanted to keep Chase and Gert apart, but I wanted to. I knew that I wanted to bring future Gert back in an age appropriate way if I could get there. So it was kind of like I had like a half a dozen long term goals, but most of them were things that we needed to work toward because you couldn't do them in the first arc; they wouldn't be that meaningful. Right. So it was like, okay, I've got these six. And then I've got the beginning, I've got the first arc. I know it's going to happen in the first arc. In the first arc, we're getting them back together. We're strengthening their ties. We're showing the, we're showing what's changed and why that's hard for each of them. Like when they come back together after being apart for so long, it, it's not easy. Um, and then, so I had like my first arc goals. And then, then I, usually when I was writing the first arc, I would come, one arc, I'd come up with whatever the next arc would be. And it kind of, often the, it would come out of where the characters were like, what would be an interesting way to challenge these characters and what, what could happen now? What, what, what could come out of this? And so usually by the time I got to six, I would have the next arc planned, but it wouldn't be, um, 
you know, we, we'd get approved in six issue increments. Mm-hmm. So I'd have to wait and see, are we going to get more issues? And then, um, then I'd write those six issues. And then by the time I got to the end, I'd be like, oh, I, I, know, I know where we're going now. And it, it kind of felt like with every arc, we were hitting our goals. At one point, Nick did say, like, I wanted Victor and Gert to get together, and I wanted, um, I wanted Carolina and uh, Nico to get together. And <laughs> Nick was like, you need, let's just do it all now just in case. You're like, we, we, not, we might not get there. So that all happened in one arc and one, <laughs> one issue. You know, it's like, okay, we're doing all the kissing in one issue and just in case we don't get six more issues. Mm-hmm. But every time we'd hit one of those goals, I would feel so good. Like, oh, man, we got to the – I never thought this book would live long enough that we would hit that goal. But we did. We just got to that goal. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of a charmed first ongoing comics experience for yeah, you. So you got really to get great. all the way through. How many issues was the whole thing? 38. 30s? Yeah. 38. That's, a, that's amazing. I, we got to the run at the end. I think we only got a couple more issues because they wanted to get us to the runaways 100. Mm-hmm. So we got uh, to 100. Yeah. They want to have their cake and eat it too with the numbers. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, we got there. It's over. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, let let me, so if you were writing your Runaways story all the way through, if you were writing it in terms of a prose book, would you, I mean, would that be like one book or would that be a series of books? Like, how would you think of it? I I find myself thinking It's not really apples and apples. Yes. No, it's not really the same because, you know, a, a comic has to have one, it, each, each issue has to have like feel like a complete story in a way like it has to yeah. be like one arc and so it's a much more like um you know like in a novel is the song that can like you know be like an overture that like builds and builds and builds and builds and then gets louder and more complicated and then you know crescendos eight minutes in whereas um a comic is more like a song you hear on the radio where it needs to kind of uh if you think right. of the, and then and then it, it has and then it has a larger crescendo for those six issues, but it definitely the rhythm of those six issues, you know, is like da 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 da. We're getting bigger, da 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 da, and then you know you're like you're always like little hills as you climb the mountain. Um, yeah, so it's not the same, and I can't, I can't like plot them the same. That makes sense. I think that I, you know, I get it. I got it when I read it. I, you know, I get it in your mind that you come from being a novelist, and and I love long form storytelling. Like, I yeah. love it in comics. I like, you know, like the way that the wire is structured, you know, or the way right. that, you know, like I like a big story. I don't necessarily like episodic stuff. And earlier I said Brian K. Vaughan is the master of the single issue, and he still is, and he's sort of able to do that both ways. But I, you know, I, you know you're know, you in the 20s or so, I think, oh, cool. Like, this is one big story. Cause, and I thought, I was like, I just assume, like, this is actually going to end, too, like have an ending, because that doesn't, you know, comics mm, are the illusion mm-hmm. of change as you sort of stumble forward. But, um right. It's good. You should have been thinking about it in an issue in arc forms for sure. Um, well, here's the deal. I think I wanted it to feel, you know, we could get canceled any minute, mm-hmm. but I wanted to have goals. Like if we get that far here, you know, here's like, here's a series of goals and maybe we'll get them. But I like to plan because I like the feeling of a, something coming together. Like the feeling that like, oh, I yeah. didn't even realize this was building over the last two years. And now here we are and it's all coming together. I think that's like as a reader, I think that's very satisfying when a, when a slow burn finally boils over. So I definitely wanted to have that planned out. Should we get there? Let's, let's, you know, let's be ambitious. Let's say, you know, 
we're gonna we're gonna get there. Or let's try to get there, and let's um, lay the foundation. But, you know, the, the unfortunate thing is then you some things feel unfinished if you get canceled. But but yeah, I I like planning because the something I hated as a reader is when there were it just felt like one red herring after another, like mm-hmm. dead ends. You know, that never got picked up. I, I really hated it when something had been building and building with a character, and then the creative team would change and that would get dropped. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I don't know. Is Wait. that kind of what we were talking about? This idea, like long form versus short form. Yes, it's like yeah. both at once, right? Comics is both at once. It is. I mean, it's 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 like soap operas. It's the illusion yeah, right. of exactly. moving forward, like but no one really does. Batman doesn't get older. You know, <laughs> if anybody had been through that much trauma, he would not be functional. I don't care how tough he is. But um, don't you think that as a reader, you actually need there to be some change? Like, even if he learns the same lessons over and over and over, like you. I think- Need I mean, to I think feel it's an like illusion. he's doing that. I think it's the perception of change, and that's what good, like, ongoing comic writers do. You know, yeah, when we're talking I about I feel like there has to be or, some change. Yeah. Well, I yeah, mean, the, the other thing is they change over over the years. You know, just just by by d- d- different people coming in, different times, whatever. Like, it slowly morphs. Like, there's different versions. Ba- Batman's the easiest one because he's been around for eighty years. You right. Know, there's different versions of them throughout, and the characters at its core for whatever reason so strong that it can sort of absorb and change with all those things but i don't know i feel like there has to be change on in the arc you're reading or in the story you're reading there has to be real change but it might not stick it might not be lasting yeah and and it's always interesting the changes that do become and i think that's what i mean like i think you can do that within your story or your issue or whatever but if you back way up and you look at the whole arc of stories like you kind of have to let some of it go which is, you know, the concept behind the no prize or whatever. Um, right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So when you went to, uh, did you go to school to be a journalist? Yeah, I did. Like, mm-hmm. I, your, well, so, I studied journalism. I, I did three things. I did journalism, advertising, and fiction writing. And then I've done all of okay. those now. So nice work. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, were you, because a lot of people, you know, they want to be a writer and they're not sure what to do and they yeah. go into journalism. Like, did you, like, was your was your first thing is, like, I want to be a journalist. I want to work in a newspaper or do whatever. Or, yeah, I really or was... saw that as a way to have health. And <laughs> this is, betrays my age. I, I saw it as a way to have health insurance and be a writer. You know, I was like, right. I want to be a writer, but I don't. I want, to, I want to have a steady, stable job. And at that point, it was a stable job. I was a columnist. <laughs> I know it's not anymore, right? Now it's like, yeah, Thunderdome. But yeah. at the time, it was a stable job. How do you go? How do you go from, like, how did you become a columnist? It feels like it, takes, it should take a while to get to that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I wanted to do it. I tried. I tried to do a good job. I got there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think that my brain is a storytelling brain. And so that served right. me well as a newspaper reporter. It's how I became a columnist. And, you know, it's what I did. And, I, you know, a column is like writing the same thing three times a week, the same length. It's a little bit like right. comics where you write exactly the same length every time. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit it's repetitive in kind of a bad way actually because you get to be like a machine that makes the same thing yeah when we, um, we were we were doing we used to, our website used to be like content every day and things like that so i i got into that rhythm yeah for it's sure. really similar actually frankly to do yeah you're doing the same thing you know like you, you know how it feels it gets a little bit like a, a rhythm that you know too well mm-hmm. yeah oh, as, as a columnist yeah uh yeah do you still it, think of things in terms of columns like you see something going on and you're like <laughs> Paragraph one. Okay, yeah, I got that. Okay, you know what I, I what I think about with columns. The worst part about writing a column, I think, in anybody who does a podcast or a blog feels this is just the pressure to have something to say, and then sometimes you say things that you regret because 
yes. you were just trying to produce content, you know, and like you can, t- that's what I think when I see somebody coming in with hot take and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> you just had space to fill you. You, sh- you hot takes are usually bad takes. And, and anything that you write just because you have a deadline or you need to fill space mm-hmm. is usually not something you want to stand by. So that's how I think about column writing now. I'm relieved that I don't have the pressure to right. have a take, even though I don't have a take. And um, Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's really interesting. I, I the, the most popular thing I ever did was like an on, it was a column. It was called What's Wrong With You? And Where I, did you do that? I, at iFanboy. Like that was on our website. Oh. Like from like, like we, we, uh, from 2008 to 2011, we we did it full time. We were producing content, and then oh, wow. I had a kid, and I was like, I can't do this anymore. Oh, um, but you know, anyway, so it was, it was kind of it was gripey, and people loved it. It was the best yeah, thing, you know, yeah. in terms of, and and it stressed me out so much because well, then you go looking like, for things to gripe about. Yeah, well, I don't like doing it, like because yeah. you have to attack something, and then yeah. somebody feels bad about that, and I just don't have that in me. Like yeah. I wanted, you know, I want to talk about, you know, what's great about the comic and the how the form works and everything. But yeah, no, I, I wasn't, I wasn't. I can for remember that. walking around going, "Oh, I hope something kind of weird or bad happens around me, so that I have something <laughs> to write about." It was not a good way to go through the world. I did, I don't miss it. I mean, I, I'm glad I did it, but I don't miss it even a little bit. So, in the middle of of Runaways, which, um, you know, which I think we've covered. Uh, I could go on. I, you tell I me all about. I always talk about Runaways. It's like I know it's you could tell me all about the Doombot. Uh, very be, dear to my know, heart. You should, and it, and it, and it shows, and it and it works that Thanks. way. But you you did uh, you did do a graphic novel, um, yeah, Pumpkinheads, yeah, yeah. with Faith Aaron Hicks. Yep. Which is a totally different sort of form of comics. You know, yeah, probably totally different. story wise, yeah. a little closer to what you're, you're used to. Um, did, yeah, uh, a little bit more long form, and a little bit a little bit different because Faith is. Um, someone who writes her own graphic novels. Right. So it was a little bit different working with someone who has, she writes her own stuff normally. And so she has a way she wants to do it. And we kind of had to, we had to connect in a slightly different way. Yeah. And you don't have anything to sort of work from or, or, you know, the common ground in the same way that with comics. All new Um, characters. Yeah. Did you, did you end up approaching it sort of the same way? Uh, as you did the comics or did you approach it more like you would have a novel? Well, the, the one major thing is that the, there's not a set number of pages. So right. the story can be as long as it needs to be. And the other thing is faith really wanted to pace it. She wanted to be the person who did the pacing. So instead of being like on page one, this happens on page two happens, you know, and you're writing a comic comic, you're even writing in page turns. You know, like, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but for that, it was more, that was more purely a screenplay. I didn't break that into pages at all. Really? Um, yeah, no, I wrote like a pure screenplay. Now, it was still the language of writing to an artist and not writing to, a, you know, a film crew or a reader. You know, like, I, I, on this, I think we need to see this. And, and then this person approaches. Mm-hmm. And, um, but Faith very much was the person who then kind of did the thumbnails from that. And that was how she felt most comfortable doing it. And I was, I was so new that I didn't really have how, like a, how a far, strong feeling. How long were you, had you been working on runaways at that point? Or was it sort of concurrently? Um, I can't remember. And I, I think what might've happened is I started one and then by the time we were doing the art for right. pumpkin heads, runaways had been, in print for a few months. Mm-hmm. Um, not, it was all new. It was, it was happening kind okay. of concurrently. Runaways happened first. So 
my first experience working with an artist and a letterer and all of that was was Marvel. Um, but I was I was pretty happy to do it differently with Faith, and I'm pretty happy to do it differently, kind of with whoever, really. But yeah, for for her, she was just like I. It, it helped her to kind of in the storytelling, the visual storytelling, to be able to be the person kind of setting the pace. It's really interesting. I I don't I don't think I've heard that. You know, like it makes sense to me, but I don't know if I heard that exact story sort of before something was done. But I it makes a lot of sense. It's kind of cool. It's it's you know, it's an artist taking a lot more ownership than they maybe need to on a lot of other jobs. But it's kind of well, cool. I think there's bigger response, bigger responsibility. I don't, I don't know that I want to say bigger, but a different responsibility for a graphic artist, a graphic novel artist, because it's like a year long commitment. Like she's drawing right. that for a year, and she's going to be. You know, it's a year of her life, and then she's sort of accountable for it in a different way. Like it, it mm-hmm. belongs to her in a different way. So for Marvel, we're we're you know we're all part timers, sure. we're all contractors, so it belongs to Marvel. But Pumpkinheads really belongs to Faith and to me. So I think, and also because you know, by the time I'm working with Faith, that's like her sixth or seventh graphic novel. She definitely has a way that she feels comfortable working, and she's also very brilliant at pacing. Yeah. Um, Faith is very good at um, like pay, moments that go on and on and on for four spreads, and you you're still in the moment. Like like she can really draw out a pause. So she, um, especially when important things are happening or important motions are happening, she really stretches out and and gets very um, matrixy about it. You know, like when you slow down an important moment. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she she really needed to be the person kind of controlling the tempo. I'm going to cough, Josh. That is... Go ahead. <coughs> okay, go ahead. That Coke does not wet the whistle. I'm having just... a hard time. <laughs> I'm going to have my I get, no, bring me I, some more water. If you have to talk for a really long time, the same thing happens to me. So don't don't sweat it. And I, and I, won't, <laughs> I that's I'm the just other having like, one you... problem after that. Hopefully I'm making sense. But... <laughs> yeah, you're totally fine. Okay. Um, it's interesting because that I think is exactly what I was trying to get at earlier with the comic book storytelling. Because what you're talking about, that's the mechanics of storytelling. That that sort of time dilation. I don't know if that's the right word, but you know that that pacing, which is the thing I love about comics, is that you don't, as a reader, you don't usually notice that happens. But when you do notice how somebody's doing something like that, I find it so impressive. Like I, I love that about comics. It doesn't. Yeah. It's a thing that is. It is unique to comics. You you can't do that. Uh, at least in in such a finite way, in you know, like in a novel or something like that. The f- um, thing that feels really unique to me is that in comics you have like so many different people all at once doing something. It's more mm-hmm. like a movie in a way than like a novel. In the novel mm-hmm. it's just you. You know you're controlling everything. But Did you find that was that was like difficult to give up that kind of control, or or was it freeing? Every once in a while it's difficult. You know, every once in a while you'll hit heads with someone, or you'll. I don't really hit heads usually where it's frustrating is when you can't communicate what you see in your head to someone else or you sure you're really hoping something will kind of go a certain way and you can't quite articulate that or you know you're just having like a breakdown where you're setting something down and they can't quite pick it up and you're like not sure where it's not connecting is is frustrating but the control no I mean I I'm still doing novels too so I, I still have my projects where I'm in control and I'm doing everything it's usually 
it's like a comfort to work with other people and it's a relief and mm. it brings a different energy into your life to have something you're you're doing with other people and if you like and respect them it's energizing and it's great it's, it's very rarely yeah. like stressful yeah yeah i can't imagine there's there's a whole lot better than sort of getting pages back of a thing that you kind of thought about and wrote on paper and then like oh, it's, it's, a it's like a, it's like magic. Yeah, it's a, yeah, no. <laughs> that was in my head, and then you drew it. <laughs> I've yeah, I've experienced. I mean, but that I a think probably times. when you talk about control, I mean, I am writing the arcs like in six months. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, and the thing I'm I'm controlling about is, you know, if I've, if I've already written and I need a certain thing to happen in the sixth issue, mm-hmm. then I need all the little pieces of that thing to show up. You know, so mm-hmm. I think the time when I feel like I probably get on the artist's nerves is is just when I'm like, no, this has to happen here because in five issues that that's going to change the reality, and I need it to happen here first. That's just good planning. <laughs> but it's so, probably uh, like, yeah, you know, I'm sure that gets yeah. on their nerves. <laughs> well, work's not always fun. Um, as you're nearing the end of, how do you get from the end of Runaways to, to taking over a She-Hulk series and launching a new one of those? Okay, so I've got like five characters I want to write for Marvel. And <laughs> whenever Nick asks me to do something, I'm like, no, but I would like to write that character. And he'll say, you can't write that character because they're tied up and whatever, right? They're all tied up all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so he knew I wanted to write She-Hulk. He knew I loved She-Hulk. And then there was a, it was like a Marvel 1000th issue or something. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where every, Kinda, all the characters yeah. got like one page. Yep. Yep. He was like, okay, you can write She-Hulk for one page. Um, <laughs> so Chris, Anka, and Matt Wilson and I um, did that She-Hulk page. And that was super fun. And and then I was like, you know, I want to write She-Hulk. And, and finally, because of the She-Hulk television show, She-Hulk was given her own book so she'd been in you know she'd been tied up in the avengers so um you know someone else was writing her so it wasn't until the the tv show was on the horizon that they were like Mm -hmm. oh you know maybe we'll have a shield book and i was like right there to be like please 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 let me write it (laughs) did you again for that did you have like a thing in mind that you wanted to do yeah totally 100 percent was that the the hearts (laughs) yeah i was like i didn't get i didn't get me my hot hands on her i know exactly what i want to do yeah yeah because i'm just a Um, fan of that character so i what was the what was the comics that made you fall for that character? I mean, I think as a kid, I was just drawn. I liked the Hulk, mm-hmm. and I was drawn to her because she's cool looking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I uh, in my book, Eleanor Park. Park has a crush on She Hulk. Like I just, is everybody has a crush on She Hulk. She's the best. Yeah. I, I liked that she was funny. You know, she's a. She's a woman who, she's a female character who has a real personality. Sometimes the female characters in comics, especially in the 80s and when I was reading them, you could only really differentiate them by their hair color. Um, so when when a character came in with like a lot of personality like Jen has, you know, she just she feels so vivid and so alive. And so I would always just read her when I, when I would just see her. And then I read Dan Slott's She-Hulk and... Mm-hmm really loved it and i still love it i still still think the first six issues are like just perfect i think and i like the whole run um and i liked peter david's she hulk um so then i i i I read um when charles soul and um javier polito Polito. sorry yeah yeah i think so and then i read mariko tamaki's and so i just always 
keep up with her. And then along the way, I had read um, the John Byrne She-Hulk. So I just had read them all. And I, for me, for me, it's, it's um, I like them all. But for me, Dan Slott's She-Hulk is just like, just I just could go on and on about it. And I, I really like Sensational She-Hulk too. So she's this character who has, it's just so much personality. And, and, and I just felt like she would be a joy to write. She's, uh, you pointed out she's, she is, she's had a relatively consistent personality. Yeah. Yeah. Unusual. For, for a long time. Yeah. It's, it's really unusual and mm-hmm. it's unusual for female characters. And it's unusual so. for a character who's not a, a, she's not like an A-list character. So she's mm-hmm. often showing up in other people's, other characters' books and she still has a consistent personality, which is almost unheard of. Yeah. Yeah. And she's, yeah, she's a, she's a fascinating character with a lot of depth i think it, it's there's something about it like there's a lot of pretty good miniseries about her yeah i think you know, that you just named a bunch of them i was thinking when like the last one i was like charles soul was the last one and he's a lawyer so he so that uh right. you know she, she was he could he could sort of do that part of it but um and then the art was amazing um so but uh, you know when uh you started that i said oh i really like runaways and i'll take this and and like right away it's it was it was another fun take on that character. So are you, are you having as much fun with it as it looks like you are? Oh yeah, I love writing. I love writing Jen. I, I, I she's a delight. I think the reason there are so many good She Hulks to read, and the reason that when she shows up, you know, even I'm thinking of A Force Kelly Thompson wrote, Ooh. it's just like always good. And I think it's because people, I think writers especially love to write her because she's she's a consistently funny character so if you're reading a big team book or a big event i always feel like spider-man gets the best lines like if there's Mm -hmm. a joke spider-man gets it but then if there are two jokes she hilk gets the second joke and and so i think (laughs) and i think artists love to draw her um sometimes i think she only gets chosen because they need a splash of green you know like they just need some visual interest on the team so uh, you can tell i think that artists and writers and even editors love She-Hulk. So she shows up and when she shows up, it's like she's she's always entertaining. So yeah, I, I love writing her because I think once she's funny, so you can, you know, make her funny or try to make her funny. And she's smart. She's she's also always been a character with like a real life. It's like from the very beginning, she's had a life outside of being a hero, a life outside of the team. So you get to write her whole life. Uh, and then also she's very decent. She's good. So she's kind of a Captain America character where hmm. she wants to be a hero. She, you don't have to talk her into doing the right thing. She wants to do the right thing. She was already, she was already doing the right thing as a lawyer before she became a Hulk. Um, it's interesting, too, because she has that self-effacing uh, sort of. But, yeah. But, which doesn't make any sense because she's seven feet tall and gorgeous right. and strong and a lawyer. Like that should be the most confident person on earth. Um, but yeah, you're right. She's always sort of written more like a real human, which she's anybody very confident that too, right. Which is yes. exciting. Like it's exciting that she really likes herself and that her, her self-effacingness comes sometimes from not wanting to make other people uncomfortable. Do you think like this about the characters or is it like you write them that way and then afterward just sort of think about, like, like, like what you just said to me about that character, like, like, do you go into the, the character sort of understanding that? Or do you write the character and then understand that about them? No, I go into, I, like, I, I do a lot of research. I like, I like yeah. to know the character. So I went, I, you know, I read every 
I read every appearance of She-Hulk um, <laughs> over a couple months. I didn't read, I read, I read like the whole book. I like skim right. sometimes and find the She-Hulk part and read that part. But I did, I made, I really tried to track down every appearance and see. And I took notes. I mean, I don't, I'm, I, 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 I like doing this, so that's why I did it. Nobody, sure, like seriously, no one wanted me to. It's not like Nick. In fact, he probably wishes <laughs> that I didn't. Yeah. And I like. You know, I have a notebook where I like write down like, okay, in this run, these are the characters who came in. This is what the run was about. This is what her personality was like. This is how the character changed. Okay. In the next run, okay, the new characters, then that's something she has like a, a revolving door of, of supporting characters. She has no consistency over the years. Um, so who came in and and how did her personality change? How did her powers change? What did it mean? You know, what, to, and, and, and you see kind of, as, if you do that, you see what sticks and how the character evolved and Really, with She-Hulk, John Byrne is the person who came in, and and, and the She-Hulk that we know now is really the John Byrne She-Hulk. Mm-hmm. Um, so you see, like, just what's what kind of became more of a part of the canon of the character, and like you were talking earlier that you know, it's like the illusion of change because it can't mm-hmm. all be true. Right? It can't. They can't <laughs> stay thirty-five and have all these adventures. So it's it's not real. But you also sort of see like what things about a character feel true to the readers and what what is it about mm. She-Hulk that feels true to us and that we like and, and what is it about her that we connect to over time so yeah that's the sort of stuff I think about and then I fill my office with notes I, I do these like big post-it notes and I make lists of like you know like, <laughs> what does it mean to be She-Hulk and uh, mm-hmm. for this book what I wanted was I wanted it to be like, I feel like, oh God, this is the character I know, even if, even if it's not exactly the character who's, I, I kind of feel like the classic She-Hulk is a She-Hulk who doesn't exist all in one place, really. It's more the, you know, like the, it's just like a snowball of time and character traits. So, but, but how can we, can we, can we write a book about, or can we make a book about a character that feels really true to character and very classic? How did you – was there any way that you approached this newer series from the way that you had approached your first series with Marvel? Like as you came into this this sort of new – like wh- what did you know that you didn't before that, that you know, you brought into this project? So like what wisdom or lessons had I learned? Not- I guess, yeah. And it could even be something technical. It could be something really, you know. Yeah, yeah, But, yeah. You, know, you know, as you go from being sort of a novice at the form, not of storytelling, right. but of, of comics, as you, you know, and you're you're more wizened now, you know, what's easier <laughs> sure. about it? What's different about it? Also, She-Hulk is a, is a totally different vibe because it's a, it's a different creative team. I was really lucky on Runaways. I really only worked with two artists on Runaways, Chris Anka and Andres Genele. Um, they did almost, I mean, we had a couple of fill-in artists, but they did the the whole 30 date issues. I think they split it equally. Um, and it was consistent. Like they, they yeah, it was consistent. We didn't have consistent other. coloring. No. Which is really remarkable. And we had Joe Caramagna on letters for the whole run. Um, Big Joey C. Yeah. Love Joe. <laughs> he's, he's wonderful. Um, yes, he is. And he's, he's on She-Hulk as well. So it's just uh, the, the consistency is Nicola's the editor again. Um, and then Lindsay is uh, Lindsay Kohick. I've never said her name out loud, but is um, the assistant is the assistant editor. That was a real podcast problem in the early days. Oh, I'm no sure. No one is saying any of those names out loud. Oh, I'm sure. Lindsay came in at the very end at Runaways, and she's um, helping Nick out on She Hulk. But otherwise, you know, it's a totally it's different team. So uh, we started She Hulk with uh, Roger Antonio. 
Um, and then we shifted in the second or the third issue to Luca Maresca. So Luca Maresca is on the book now um, consistently, and I think for the near future, for, for the for, for the future that I can see or that any of us can see. And then um, Rico Renzi is the colorist. And so it's like, you had asked earlier, like, how, what have I like learned and how is it different? One thing I've learned mm-hmm. is that when an, when you're working with an artist, the whole vibe is just going to shift. And even working between Roger and Luca, the vibe shifts because it's just like a different sound, a different smell, a different vibe. Everything is just different. So Luca, you feel better I, able to adjust to that. I think I feel Maybe more that's prepared one of those to learn. adjust yeah. to it. Like I, I know it's going to happen, and I think my antenna goes out. Like trying to pick up what clues I can from this person about. How, how, what do they want? Like I just sent an email to um, Luca today because when I was working with Andres on Runaways, he never wanted to know what was happening. He liked to read the book like a reader would read it. Mm-hmm. Um, so he did not know any of the big plot stuff that was coming up. He didn't want me to spoil it for him. Um, but I was just thinking like, oh, Luca might have a totally different feeling about that. You know, maybe it would, he might really want to know, like Chris always wanted to know so that he could steer things. Um so Luke and I had that conversation today. So yeah, I think I'm a little bit more, my antennas up a little bit more about like, how is this going to shift? I know it's going to shift from with the, even, you know, even the colorist shifts things. The colorist really controls the mood of the book. So like trying to pick up what I can and learn what I can. I've been lucky that I get, I've had some consistency because you read some books, you know, they have a different person on color every issue or a, a different person on letters every issue. And that consistency for me as a writer really, really helps me because I get to know the person and I feel like I'm I'm pitching to them better. Right. I mean, with, with a character like She-Hulk, that can, like, color consistency is it's the whole game. I mean, that, oh, I mean that's, f- that's a character who just pops off a page and that we needs to be We had a lot of conversation consistent. about what color she should be, really, you know, like. Yeah. Because it varies. <laughs> you know, like, which shade <laughs> of green is it going to be? <laughs> I like that. I like that you had a hand in that, too. Well, it's this green is all wrong had, for Yeah. Oh, I had opinions. I, it was important to me that her lips are green. Oh, wow. We have mentioned Jen Bartel. That was, uh, we, Jen came on, I think maybe, you know, Jen came on even before Roger um, as the cover artist. And that really helped us solidify where we were going with the character once Jen was doing the covers. Um, yeah, but that was a conversation we had with Jen because Jen originally did her lips red. And I was like, I really feel like they should be green. <laughs> um, but I, I feel like I thought that I had this whole conversation I was going to have with Jen Bartel about what we were doing with She-Hulk. And instead, it was like three texts where she was like, I'm thinking this. And I was like, that's perfect. That's amazing. <laughs> Do that. I'm trying to think of what the lips look like on the, like, the famous John Byrne cover. He normally does green. Yeah. I feel like that's I, right. He, Let's for see. me the color of She-Hulk and those sensational She-Hulks is the, I think that's like the gold standard, that green, that dark green hair, um, the green lips. They're kind, of, they're kind of black or dark, dark green. Yeah. They're, they're a blackish green. On yeah. Yeah. For sure. Sensational I, I think it She-Hulk. looks good. She has that lock of hair all through yeah. sensational She-Hulk that comes right down between her eyes. I love it. I bought Perfect. those issues as they were coming out. I was 12. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. I totally remember. That's one of those, that's one of those images that sticks with you. It just, that that cover is like one of the all-time covers where she's speaking directly to the camera and it's John Byrne who, you know, the, if you the were artist to go back, of artists I think, at the time. And look at them now, 
you would feel that way about more than one cover. You'd be like, the, when you're looking through the old John Byrne issues, I feel like yeah. there's so many covers where you're like, oh, and that's an iconic cover, and that's an iconic cover, and I remember <laughs> this cover. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that book stood out and uh, made an impression on me because I'm still talking about it a thousand years ago. Oh, well, on a lot of us, right? And I also think right. when you, he, he's got a singular, he's as the artist and the writer and the person yeah. doing the covers. I mean, he had, or he was able to really do something very focused and singular with that book. Let me ask you this, and I and I asked Kelly Thompson this too. Okay, um, so is it a girl question? I'm no, just kidding. Yeah, no, well, kind of, but it, it, <laughs> okay. it is in the fact that you know, women who get hired in comics tend to write female characters, which is a thing. And I and I yeah. wonder, like, are you is that what you gravitate towards because you you want to do that, or do you ever feel like you get stuck with female characters? I mean, I, I like how how do you approach it? Because it, it's yeah. I, you know, at bass is any sort of somebody who's not a white male. You know, they they give you a character who looks like that. You know, right, right. But you kind of wondered, like, do you have the, do you want to do the other stuff? Do you feel like you're able, not, not able skill wise, but you right. know, would be given it. Yeah, I for sure feel like I'm able. Yeah, I, I know I, that. I just yeah. want to make that clear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you write men? <laughs> I mean, I can, but I have to talk in a deep voice the whole time I do it. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I think that the answer to that question is there are five characters that I would are, who are on my list, right? My like dream right. list and the top two are boys. Um, You're not telling me who those are. No, because I think it's jinx, you jinx it when you tell it. And then I, like, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. I understand. Yeah. Cause so. then somebody else is like, well, I would like to write them and you know, and then they do. <laughs> so I think we're at a place where Marvel wants people, they want diverse voices telling these stories. And I think they want, more women and non-binary people and people who have a you know I, people other than just men telling these mm-hmm. stories and I so I think I am more likely to get a female character like I'm, I'm I, like She-Hulk was on my in my top five I wanted her bad I think I'm more likely to get her because they want women telling Jen's story and that's right not a bad thing right I think no it's a good thing. it is yeah I think it's I a just good thing. wonder. If yeah. that makes you feel pigeonholed sometimes, though, in the opposite way, because it, like it's a good thing, and it's a good thing that there are more diverse voices, and not everything is being interpreted sure, through yeah. sort of a single lens. But well, you know, I will you're say more that than just that. I, I, yeah, I got offered. I have been offered characters and like IP before, where I felt mm-hmm. like, yeah, you're just offering me that because you need a woman to write it, and I have no interest in writing it. So go find some other girl um so for me yeah i i mean i think i, get that. I definitely think it's it it a right? project yeah but for it kind of doesn't matter because i connect with it's like it matters and it doesn't in this case i wanted to write jen i connect to her because partly because she's a woman and i and i think she's actually the, the best female character in marvel like for me, I could I could make a long case for it, but for me, she's just the best. She's the most. Um, she's got like the the. I feel like she's just more alive than most characters, and especially most female characters. She's just vivid and deep in a way that is you want you want to. You, some characters you don't come with a lot of depth, and they're not as fun to write. But she just is so real, and she has she's been allowed to have. She's like for example. 
she's been allowed to have sex and enjoy it, which is very unusual for a female character. And it's just unusual for a Marvel character. Like Jen (laughs) has been able to have friends. You know, she has friendships. She has a job that matters to her. She has had a very complete and human life. And she's, she's not just a hero. And she's also not just, you know, like, she's not just a girl. She's not just in a romance comic and she's not just in a hero comic. She's, she gets to have all kinds of adventures. And I think she's a grown up. She's a grown up and she's, yeah. yeah, And as a woman, like you, that's what you want for your own life. You want to have all of these rich and diverse and interesting things happening in your life. So like you get, there's, I can tell all kinds of stories with Jen that I maybe couldn't tell with a different character. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I enjoy the book. I, I, it wasn't. I was. Thank you. That was no, it's terrible. funny. I'm, no, I, I'm admiring your courage awesome. in asking a gendered question. That's hard. <laughs> <laughs> I've 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 tested out on a few people, but I, it's yeah. interesting because like, you know, this isn't all I want to do, and 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 like that must occur to people. But I think that's a good answer. It kind of depends on the spirit in which the project comes from, because I'm sure that that other thing happens a lot, where it's just like we need a girl to write this. We need you know. Right, American to write this, whatever. Oh, so for sure, valid, and that that must be grading, um, to in some ways. But um, thank you for answering that question. Yeah, well, you're uh, welcome. <laughs> I am going to wrap up. I really appreciate your time. I, I had a lot of fun talking to you. I hope you had a good time too. <laughs> I did. We didn't talk at all about Jack of Hearts. <laughs> I'm such a jerk. I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> you need to rest your voice and and have some water. I know. I hope this is usable. Did I sound too? Um, I no, feel like I no. finally got it back. I'm sorry. No, I hope it was. I totally, hope you can scrape something together. No, you're totally fine. Um, yeah. No, I've had a terrible day, and this was this is this has been this was this was a great way uh, okay, to end it. Good, I, good, I always love good. talking about the art form and uh, and the people who know it and are passionate about it. So it's great. Okay. Well, it's nice to talk to you. All right, thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. And that is another episode of Talksplode in the books. This happens because of the patrons at ifanboy.com slash Patreon. Uh, we unlock this show and the book explodes and the media explodes and the hangouts, the whole the whole deal. That's because of listener support. <laughs> the most NPR I've felt in a while. Anyway, you can find out more about Rainbow, again, her actual name, at rainbowrowl.com. And uh, thanks to everybody for listening, and we'll talk to you on the weekly show and all the other stuff that's coming out. Bye.